Welcome to the Leadership Under the Microscope interview series, Plain Talk by Pragmatic Leaders, a production of JR Global. Today, we continue our series of interviews with innovative leaders from around the world. These episodes convene conversations about their stories and examine the pitfalls, priorities, parameters, and pragmatism of being a leader in the global community. Here is your host, J.R. Klein. Today's guest is Catherine Korich. Catherine is an associate fellow at the Side Business School at the University of Oxford. My first contact with her is when she was a faculty member for the Oxford Advanced Management and Leadership Program. She has a very interesting story as it naturally moves capacity, skill, and leadership style over a varied number of disciplines and and does it seamlessly. Ms. Korch is the founder and chairman of the SysDoc Group, an international consulting practitioner for business. She has led transformational programs for IBM, ICL, Fujitsu, Telecom, Vodafone, and, and, and many others. She serves on a plethora of boards where her sensibility, sensitivity, and pragmatic style of leadership adds value to individuals, organizations, and society. It is my pleasure to present to you, Catherine Korish. Catherine, welcome to our program today. Uh, it's a delight to have you here. Thank you, um, JR. It's lovely to be here with you. You know, when I read your resume and the material about you, it's like I'm reading the who's who of global business. This idea of being a founder and chairman of an international business. You sit on multiple boards. You're an associate fellow at the Side Business School at Oxford. You split your time between UK and New Zealand. I'm sure that didn't happen like overnight. I'm sure you got there. And so I'm interested in just hearing you talk a little bit about what your story is. How did you get to where you are today? You know, and then maybe ending up at the end of that with a little bit about where your current passions are. Thanks for the, um, the questions, JR. I started in a really, um, I would say, unusual way for an entrepreneur. And I've often described myself as an accidental entrepreneur. I trained as a commercial pilot, having done a degree in sociolinguistics, phonetics, and generative grammar, would you believe? And I realized in, my, um, in that period of time where I was doing my degree and then uh, training to be a commercial pilot, I realized I just had this great hunger for knowledge. And I wasn't sure where the knowledge was leading, but it was just this desire to know how planes fly, to know how engines work, to understand the structure of language. And in doing so, I guess I opened a, a whole world of opportunity and a whole world of learning without a grand plan of where that learning would take me. I completed the commercial pilot's license, actually self-funded because in those days it wasn't easy to be trained by the military or by an airline as a female pilot. It was something you really had to back yourself to do. So I did that and worked in both IBM and the International Stock Exchange of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And in both of those roles, the roles were heavily information technology focused 
And I recognized that I had an unusual set of skills in the sociolinguistics, so the understanding of, of language, which helps in understanding of machine language, and also the understanding of how humans think. And I would bring some of these concepts to work and discuss them with my colleagues. Then I started to introduce some of the concepts of aviation uh, and, and thinking about the, the key things that we know and love about making aviation safe, that's end-to-end -end process, uh, operational excellence, use of simulators for learning and training, understanding of human factors on the flight deck, particularly in the event of an emergency, and also what we call a just and fair culture in aviation which supports safe, safe whistleblowing. So all of those things were in my kit bag, I would discuss them with my colleagues. And one particular day, a colleague of mine in London said, we'd really love you to do all those things here. And I, I expressed a, a surprise, I said, what things exactly? And he said, all the things that you've described that are routine and normal in aviation, let's introduce them into our information technology project, let's take them into the wider uh, digital transformation, and let's see if we can actually deliver a better solution because we understand the needs of our end users, we understand the communities we're going to be dropping the technology into, and so on. So they were really the very humble beginnings of, of the company I founded, which is called Sysdoc, and it's just grown and grown from there, I think, because our idea was created out of need rather than out of just a bright idea, idea or an ego-based um, thought that I had. It was very much, here's something that could make the world a better place. And the pull came from the customers rather than Sysdoc and my teams needing to push out towards the, um, the marketplace. That's really quite a logical progression, isn't it? You can take this knowledge set from one sector and put it right into the next. I'm imagining that technique had something to do with how you ended up at Oxford. It did indeed. Um, again, I think everything that I've done in, in my now rather large portfolio career has come from a moment in time where it's been appropriate to introduce a set of skills. And actually, one of my colleagues at, um, at Oxford, uh, Professor Lalit Jory, has a beautiful expression that he uses regularly called unattached curiosity. And he believes that if we enter everything we do in life with this openness and an unattached curiosity, that the connections will start to create themselves between people, between businesses, between countries, between um, ideas, so that you can then build ecosystems that drive change. And I think that's what happened in the Oxford story. One of my colleagues, um, actually our New Zealand Australia CEO, Desiree Botica, had attended the program um, using her way of seeing the world, I guess, which was bringing a very New Zealand Kiwi perspective into a traditional Oxford education program. She, uh, she introduced me into Oxford and from there I was invited to become an associate fellow and, and be involved in um, and coaching and, and working on the programs. 
I, from experience, heard the result of that. A very interesting story, a very intriguing, for me, very intriguing connection. You talked about connection between two industries. Very interesting connection to leadership, period. You were at the right time and the right place to get that happen. Get happening. Today, your passions are not that different, I'm guessing, but they're like you said, sort of expanding into this portfolio that you have. You want to talk a little bit about where you're, where you're at today and kind of what you're doing and where your passions lie? I've been, I guess, very strategic in thinking about how I spend my time. So you will, as your career progresses, get lots of opportunities to join boards or to be a mentor, to work in academic settings, to make a difference in areas such as climate change. And what I've done is I've looked at my set of skills and I've asked myself, how can I use those skills, the skills of change management, of leadership, of the ability to take people on a journey to believe in a new future. I've used those skills in a way that I think is enjoyable for me, but more importantly, using them strategically to drive the change that we need in various areas of, of the, um, the economy and, and wider social, um, social issues. So I obviously have uh, the chairman role of SysDoc, which I, um, which I enjoy and I love working with my teams around the world. I have an incredible leadership team who, um, who run the business. And I would say in true entre entrepreneurial spirit, I think that they run it in a way that perhaps an entrepreneur um, can't do. So I've had a, a strong belief always that as an entrepreneur, you have to inject energy and ideas and inspiration, but you don't have to do everything. So the, the great leadership team in Sistock um, run the company, they, they develop the growth plans and so on. So that's, that's one, one segment, if you like, of the work that I do. The other one you mentioned is, is my research and teaching at Oxford University in the, in the business school. The third aspect, and this is an area of, of huge um, both commitment and challenge for me, is that I work in uh, chairman roles in a, well, in a charity called It's a Penalty, which is a child protection uh, charity where we're working globally to reduce the incidence of um, child sex exploitation. And we work extensively with um, major international sporting um, moments in time, so World Cups, the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, and so on, to actually raise awareness of child protection issues and risks to children and then we work with governments uh, border control police agencies multiple um, organizations in an ecosystem and i think strategically there what we're bringing is the principles that we use in both systoc and in aviation that end-to-end -end thinking where if you create an eco a capable ecosystem of people and organizations who can affect change, if they work together, that change can be phenomenal. So that is something that I do extensively. I also work with an organization called The Loft in Eastern Christchurch in New Zealand, which is a co-location of public service and services and third sector agencies, 
we've created a hub in actually in a shopping mall so that people can walk in off the street if they're feeling vulnerable, if they're victims of uh, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, mental health issues, drug and alcohol issues. They can come in very um, quietly and in a non-threatening way to them into a shopping mall setting where there's a library on one side, there's a medical center on another, and they can be triaged and receive what we call a social emergency response in a very safe and appropriate setting for them. And then we give them the long-term support, whether it's mental health support or drug and alcohol um, programs to help them or uh, violence management programs and so on. Now we decided to do that in Eastern Christchurch in New Zealand because we'd had a period of time following the major earthquakes. There were over 11,000 earthquakes in the period following the, the well-published um, earthquakes where people's lives were turned upside down, their homes had been damaged, the roads were no longer passable, the schools their children went to were not available, their workplaces were no longer available because the centre city was devastated. So there was a massive increase in social need. And we felt that if we took the emergency, emergency response into the community, that would strengthen the community, but also give people a better feeling that they were supported. So that's another area um, of huge commitment and um, an ongoing um, concern and commitment for me. The, um, the final area, if you like, so we've talked about the entrepreneurial work I do and I do make significant investments into startup companies that I believe have potential to create businesses that will be strong, resilient businesses, but importantly, will be very involved in, in social good. I'm involved in a, an organisation as a trustee called Pure Advantage New Zealand, which is a collaboration of five of New Zealand's uh, entrepreneurs who work in a range of areas. We work in infrastructure, business, retail, uh, fitness, well-being and fitness and health. And we've come together as a group of trustees who believe that we can drive a level of change and progress towards a green economy. So we're leading on green tech, we're leading in research around ways in which we can strengthen the economies that depend on agriculture, that depend on fossil fuels, and which are perceived to be the real uh, distractors in terms of climate change concerns. And we're working with those industries to look at how we can use technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning, improved ways of working to actually ensure that we transform the industries into green-based green industries that are good for the planet. Well, you know, I'm going to uh, guess that you've found a magical way or dispensation to fit more than 24 hours in a day because it's a very active uh, schedule, a lot of things there. And, and, I'm, and I'm also guessing that even though it's intriguing as you go through your discussion of what you're doing, it doesn't come without its challenges though. This is kind of a two-part question. The first one is, tell us a little bit about what those barriers uh, were or are 
And then the uh, second part of that is, uh, would, I'd like to know, what, what did you learn from those things? I'm going to address, first of all, the 24 hours in each day, because people ask me about that frequently. And I think the key is you surround yourself by incredible people. And I think one of the, the main things we hear about leadership is that good leaders or great leaders hire greater people. So I think you need to be really sure that the people you work with are people who can help drive change. And then the amount of your time that you spend on it is really effectively used. You use that time to motivate and inspire others. You use the time to remove barriers if people are finding it hard to maybe get to a contact that they need to get to to drive change. So it's about thinking about what your skill set is and, and how you can how you can drive change using your time effectively. So I'm I'm good at compartmentalizing my time to make sure that I give the motivation and the drive and things that are needed, but I don't try and get over involved if that wouldn't be something that is a useful um, useful way to use my time. And I think what I love about that is the people you work with are then more inspired to do more because you've trusted them. So that that's probably the, the 24 hours um, mantra. I do sleep well and frequently and I do fit time in for fitness. Um, I walk and bike a lot and I also spend a lot of time with my family. So it's not about, people often say, are you superwoman? And I don't think that there is such a thing as a superwoman. I think we all, men and women, have challenges in our lives, but it's how we how we deal with those challenges. And I think to the point um, of how do you manage the challenges, I think the biggest challenges that I've had or that, that I've let become challenges are those where I'm concerned about, am I doing the the best for the people I work with or am I doing the best for my family and I think that that's quite a common thing that entrepreneurs and leaders feel is are we enabling the best way we can are we spending enough time with individual people are we giving enough love and so all, all of those things the way to redress and deal with the challenges is make sure you take enough time for yourself in terms of getting fit, going for a bike ride, going for a walk on the beach, staring at the stars on a dark night, and just thinking about the magic. And I know that sounds soft, but it, it's, it's what's worked for me. It's, it's looking for the simple things in life and thinking about not judging yourself too harshly if, you, if you're doing the best you can. I've come up with this little saying, which is good leaders lead great leaders create the ability to be able to create competence performance loyalty autonomy into another person is is almost more of an art than it is a science can you kind of think with me for a minute around uh, what you might consider a, a particular approach that you have I'm, I'm hearing that i think a little bit already the idea of a team the idea you know, the team comes with those underlying assumptions of valuing, uh, valuing other people's opinion and valuing their ability to think for themselves and, 
and not just do what you tell them to. Do you think you have a particular approach and and uh, to leadership, and how would you define that? Do you know one of my colleagues said to me yesterday, and I'm going to summarize this because I hadn't thought about it before, but she said to me, "You always look for the best in people." And you look for the best in every situation. But when you have to deal with the challenging moments, you do it in a, in a forthright and structured way. And I thought that was an interesting way of describing it because I'd never thought about it in those terms myself. But I think that is, that, that's my working persona. I'll always look for what's the best in the person sitting opposite me what can i bring out of them that they don't even know they've got and i think that's that's a really key thing about leadership is sometimes you're sitting with a person you may have already prejudged them from something another colleague said and then you're sitting with them and you think i can see a different magic i can see something behind those eyes i can see something in in the way that they respond to a question or the way that they process a difficulty they're facing and if i can unlock what's behind that person i might bring out more than they even knew they had and i think that's something that i've done unconsciously rather than being part of a um something that that was learned and i think it's you know they often say that if you play team sport at school you'll be a great leader now obviously it's not going to happen in every case but i've tried to look at the great leaders i know and i often say to them what sport did you play or which sports did you play because it's about holding the basketball and looking at your team members as you've got just a few seconds to pass it on and you're determining are they well positioned are they ready to catch the ball are they in a good position to you know to make the make the goal and it's that situational awareness reading people's moment in time reading their body language reading where their eyes are looking are they looking away from are they looking away from the hoop or are they looking towards it and all of those things and that the trust in each other that sometimes you pass the ball and you didn't make the right pass but actually you trust that your teammates will pick it up and do the right thing with it and if they don't you learn from it and i think that's the the philosophy that i've used in terms of working with teams is let's just bring out the best in everyone and let's let's make it work i hear inside of that that you mentioned at the very end the idea of being a trust builder it seems to me that is a key element of leadership if you can get people to trust you then you can automatically trust them uh, it usually it usually works like that i believe also that you need to continue to delegate until you're no longer needed because at the end of the day many times i think things seem to even work better when i wasn't there because they not only build trust in me but they build trust among themselves that's such a a correct description and i think back to the early days of systoc so we've been around 30 years now and in the early days uh, I was the first in the team to want children and I sat down with my team and I said you know I really want to have children and I'm looking at major international consulting firms and other other competitors of ours and I'm not seeing many role models of women who led companies or 
you know, reached partner level who are still working um, full time and have children and who manage it well. So we don't have a formula. We're going to have to create our own formula. And I sat with my senior leadership team at the time and I said, so I've never had children before. You've never had children before. We're going to have to work this out. And what we have to make sure is that when we become parents, we won't, we won't put our children at risk. We won't put ourselves at risk. Equally importantly, from a business perspective, we won't put our clients at risk. So that's a lot of things to juggle when you've got no formula and no one's, no one's done it um, in a way that they can describe it easily. So we said, let's look at a working model where none of us are more important than the other. And the, um, the way we thought about it is we said, if you had a role on a project, so think about the company that I run, which is a consulting company. We do training, change management, business process re-engineering, um, digital transformation, design of technology solutions, user interface design, and so on. Typically, you would see an, orga an organization where there's a specialist who does just one thing. And they go and consult to a client for a period of time and it's almost a one-on-one -on -one relationship. We knew we had to create a different model where I might be a certain type of consultant, I might be a business process engineer, but I needed someone to step into my shoes if I needed to go away and have a baby or go away because a child was unwell or for any reason actually. So we created a working model that was well ahead of its time where we said, no one person in our team is more important than another. So we want our clients to love and trust us. But if any one of us needs to disappear for five minutes, for one day, or for one month or one year, our client wouldn't be left saying that was the only person that could have done that job for me. So that's what we created. We had early conversations with our clients and they were big, knowledgeable clients. They were IBM globally, uh, Telecom New Zealand, which was the first telco in the world to privatize. They were major government agencies and so on. And we sat with them and said, we need a different working model. We need, and we hope that you will trust us, but we will earn that trust by showing you that we can swap people in and out without the programs being put at risk. So, you know, there's ways of doing things where you think outside the square and you do them because you have a need, but ultimately they're so much better for the individuals, for the companies and for, um, well, for anything you might do in life. It really brings me to a next question I'm going to ask you, but this, the story itself is emblematic of, uh, of being a change agent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you, we, we didn't get a little name tag or a badge when we got into it or when you got into it, uh, but you end up making these innovative, really fairly common sense changes that make big differences. So um, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm coming down to the end of what I'm going to ask you. The next one is what sort of remains to be done in, in, in your world? What? needs to happen and what do you need in order to get it to happen? 
Oh, goodness, maybe a hundred more years. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to summarize that other than to say more of the same, but more scale if possible. So if you think about the work that um, the work that I've done in, in Sysdoc, it's created a we. So now that company that that was founded by an individual called Catherine is now a company that exists in its own right. And I still give injections of inspiration and energy to it, and I am currently chairman, but actually I'd feel quite comfortable not being as well. Um, and, I, and I've said that to my own staff in, in, um, in many ways as, as well. I think what you have to do in life is you've got to add capability and time and energy where you add the most value. So presently, my thinking for Sysdoc is that what we've done with our clients and you know our clients are now broad and wide their automotive their energy their defense um you know there there are so many different um industries we work with and we make transformational change in those industries but i remind my teams every every interaction we have that what we do in business we can scale that for good so that's been the connection for me to to keep it, to remain energized by business is i know that what we do adding those repeatable end-to-end -end processes uh driving change operating just and fair cultures means that we can create impact social impact in the social good programs so i want to see women safer globally i want to help contribute to a greener planet and do you know pick up the big ticket challenging things that uh, that it takes great teams to to lead in terms of change so more of the same but bigger scale and greater impact possible uh, that is a good lesson i think uh, for any of us which then brings me to my, my the last question if you have the opportunity and I might suggest that you do right now, have the opportunity to tell uh, new leaders that are moving in to business really of any kind, not just the kind that, uh, that you're involved in, but uh, kind of getting into this, emerging into this role of leadership. What would, you, what would be the things that you would tell them? What, do you, what would you say is important or do's or don'ts or shoulds or whatever? You know, we hear about authentic leadership, be yourself, trust your instincts, always be polite and fair and, and just to your colleagues. But importantly, question some of the things that have come before us, because we can see now the state that planet's in, the global challenges we're facing, the same old, same old is no longer working. So challenge to create a better environment. But remember that challenge requires kindness. And what I mean by that is if you set yourself up against others in a confrontational way, you won't drive the change you can potentially drive. Whereas if you create a, collected vis a collective vision, a shared vision, and you're brave and you're willing to challenge the status quo, 
you can make change happen. But think about it as an ecosystem model. So if you choose to have a big corporate career, work with the universities, do research with the universities collaboratively, join up with the third sector, and let the important part of that triangle or the ecosystem you create be what you're trying to change, not the individual ego of an institution or an individual. Let it be about what you're trying to change so that you can make sustainable, real change happen. That would be the message. Be yourself, but be yourself working really collaboratively with others in kindness, trust, and, and with ambition. Excellent. You know, uh, you are, again, emblematic of what I would call a sensitive, secure, and pragmatic leader. Uh, because when you get down to it, all of this results in better performance. Because you and your people work harder, they work longer, they work faster, they look at the end at the beginning. I'm absolutely uh, delighted that uh, we were able to uh, get you on the program. Uh, this, uh, uh, this message, I think, is something that needs to be heard by an entire generation. Uh, I thank you um, heartily and also warn you that we'll always be watching with excitement and admiration. So we thank you, and our hope is that uh, your efforts uh, will continue to expand and touch other parts of the world. Thank you, JR. It's been a, a really great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening to Plain Talk by Pragmatic Leaders. JR Klein is an Oxford-published author, speaker, and global business consultant. JR Global specializes in socially responsible business consulting. To learn more, visit jrglobal.co. Thank you for listening.